As many of you know, I was in a church in Michigan for 21 years, absolutely loved it, and loved the people. What a blessing. And in that church was a wonderful woman named Brenda. And Brenda was a very committed Christian, a very committed servant. She loved the Lord. She was one of our key volunteers in our children's ministry. And she was just always there, willing and available to minister to people. What a blessing. When Brenda was just about 40 years old, she contracted ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. And if you know anything about Lou Gehrig's disease, uh, doctors will tell you that it is terminal. Most people live anywhere from two to five years. And so apart from a miracle from the Lord, what Brenda understood was that her years in this world were limited. And so Brenda did something that was incredibly wise. She wrote letters to her two children so that she could speak into their lives, not just today in that moment, but she could continue to speak into their lives in the years ahead. So she had two children, and she wrote letters for them for when they would graduate from high school, when they would get married, when they would have children of their own, so that she could continue as their, her beloved children to speak into their lives, to encourage, to affirm, to bless, and to keep their eyes on the Lord. Brenda also wrote a letter to the church. And when she passed away about six years later, we read this incredible, impassioned letter to the people of God. And in this letter, what she said was, first of all, thank you to the people of God for loving her so well and loving her family so well. She also, in this letter, she communicated her passion for the good news of Jesus Christ, that we as a church would never lose our passion, would never lose our vision for what God had called us to do and to be. When I read the letters that are written to the churches, like this letter in 1 John, I read it from that perspective. I read it from a man who deeply loved the people that he was writing to. Little did he know that 2,000 years later we would be still reading this letter, still blessed by this letter, still challenged by this letter. It's a letter that John said he wrote to his beloved. And I think John would say to us today, we are his beloved today. This morning, we're finishing our series on 1 John. And what we're going to be doing is to look at five reminders where John says, this we know. This we have confidence in. This brings encouragement and assurance to our lives. And that's how he ends this amazing letter. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to turn to the end of 1 John, I'm chapter 5, 
I'm going to be reading beginning in verse 13. And you're going to see five different times where John says, this we know. This we have assurance about. This we have confidence about. And if we can find this confidence, if we can wrap our hearts and minds around these five great truths, it will shore up our faith. It will bring strength to our lives. One of the things that I learned from Brenda so many years ago was that even in the midst of such an awful disease, there is the presence of God. There is the comfort of God. There is the strength of God. I saw this woman live with Lou Gehrig's disease for six years and I saw her live with incredible joy because she knows the God of the scriptures now more than ever. Listen to what John writes. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that, we, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There's a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. Even in his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep your lives free from idols. Five areas. Five reminders as John closes this great letter. Five reminders of what is true that brings confidence to our faith, that shores us up spiritually, that encourages us and continues us on this incredible pilgrimage of walking with the living God in such a way that we encounter him, his strength, his comfort, and through this, we are transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. So here's the first thing that I want you to know. We have confidence because we know this. That you have eternal life. That you have eternal life. That you have experienced salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. John writes this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. As we've talked about in this series, this book was written by John because there were false teachers in the church that were confusing and impacting the Christians who were there. Friends, what we see throughout church history is this. 
We, are, we have enemies both outside the church, outside the church, who are attacking and persecuting us because we identify as followers of Jesus. But the greater, the greater risk has always been from within the church through those who will teach things that lead people away from Jesus. And so what we see in this passage is that John is wanting to shore up the confidence that the Christians have in their salvation. There may be some of you here today who are unsure of your salvation, unsure of your eternal life with God through faith in Jesus Christ. What I have shared with you on occasion in this series is that this very verse, 513, verse 13 of chapter 5, is really the theme or the thesis of the entire book of 1 John. God wants to shore up our confidence that we are his elect, that we are his chosen, that we are his forever children. It's an incredible reminder. Now, if you weren't with us, we spent some time looking at this because John spent a lot of time in his book looking at this very issue. Back in week number three, we dealt with this at great length. What, what did John say about salvation? And I would encourage you, if you are unsettled about this question in your own life, that you would go to our website and you'll see right on there, you can watch the YouTube video where we, in week three, where we address this very issue. But let me just summarize what we talked about. John talked about two things. Number one, that salvation comes from the Lord. It is a gift of God's grace. We sang amazing grace. What is grace? That God would love us while we are yet sinners. That God would pursue us. That God would reach out to us. That God would draw us into his family. That we get to be part of his kingdom now and forevermore. It's a gift that we are not entitled to. It is a gift that we don't deserve. It is a gift that we do not earn. It is a gift that we do not receive from the faith of our parents. It's God stirring in our lives in such a way that we can receive his grace, his gift of eternal life. And remember how he defined eternal life, which we'll see in the very last point this morning. He said, this is eternal life. Jesus said this. This is eternal life. And when he defines it, he doesn't talk about the length. That's how we think of eternity. He talks about it in terms of quality of relationship. He says, this is eternal life, that you may know God and the Son whom he sent. Friends, I am not satisfied that I'm going to live forever. I want to know God now and forevermore. I want to be transformed now and forevermore by the power of his presence and the power as he reveals, as we'll see in the last point, as he reveals who God is to us now. Friends, this is amazing. But John didn't stop there. John said, if we indeed have tasted of salvation, if indeed we have received God's incredible gift of grace, it will be revealed in the way that we live our lives. This is what the Bible calls the fruit of salvation. What happens is 
as we encounter God's love, his steadfast love for us, as we encounter his amazing grace, as we receive that into ourselves, into our lives, it changes the way we live. It necessarily changes the way we live. It's an, and we'll see that at a point in just a moment. But John clearly says, as, as Paul said as well, as Peter said as well, as Jesus said as well, we are known, we are known by the transformation that God brings into our lives as we allow him to do it. Here's a second thing that I want you to see here this morning, and that is this. Oh, let, I'm sorry, let me just draw your attention to this. At the very end of John's gospel, now remember, John wrote three letters, 1 John, which we've looked at this summer, 2 John and 3 John. He also wrote what is called a gospel, which is a story, one of the four accounts of the life of Jesus. And at the very last verse of his gospel, listen to what he says. But these things have been written. I have written these words in this incredible, in this incredible gospel. Why? What was his purpose? That you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one of God, the anointed one of God, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That is what we have seen in 1 John. There may be some of you here this morning that have never opened your heart in faith to Jesus. You have never said, Jesus, I recognize that I have fallen short of the life you have called me to live. I need you. I need your forgiveness. And I receive you into my life. Is that, if that is something that you are interested in, please reach out to us. We would love to walk with you. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Confidence, assurance, because you know this. God answers prayer. Now this seems, in the very next verse, like a very strange transition. I mean, he's been talking about eternal life, and then all of a sudden he transitions to prayer. But what he's talking about is our spiritual life, our walk with God in this life. And he's reassuring us that God is accessible to us, that God hears our prayers and God responds to our prayers. Listen to what he says in verses 14 and 15. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. Now, I want to say something about this because I think for us today, we, we don't even think twice about coming to God, or many of us don't even think twice about it. We are so used to this. We just assume this. And it's a, an incredible gift that God has given to us that we take for granted. But in the first century when John is writing, he knew that people, for people, this was an incredible revelation. Many of the people that he was writing to were Christians who had come out of the Jewish faith. And in Judaism, you couldn't just approach God. You couldn't come before God. Are you kidding me? He is holy, and you are a sinner. In fact, 
God was contained, they believed, at the time. They believed he was contained in what was called the Holy of Holies. It was a little room at the very center of the temple of God. And it was a divided, kept the people away by this huge, thick curtain. You couldn't go in there. I couldn't go in there. One time a year, the chief priest was allowed to enter that room, but they knew that he could be consumed by the holiness and the glory of God. And so they would tie a rope around his ankle in case he was consumed when he went into that room, and they could pull his dead carcass out afterward. Friends, for those people, the idea that God could be approached that we could come and talk with God ourselves by faith in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we could come before God, they were amazed. It was an incredible revelation. But we take this for granted. Now, there was another group of people in the churches who were called Gentiles, non-Jews, and, and many of them had worshipped false gods. And those false gods, you had to appease them. You had to keep them happy so that life would go well. They weren't accessible. Friends, the God of the Bible, the God of history, the God of the universe, the God who created all things says in Revelation, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. If any will open that door, I will come in and I will fellowship with them. I will be with them. I will be with them in their lives. Why would somebody why would any Christian not pray? The one who loves you more than you love yourself stands at the door of your life this morning and he knocks. And he waits for you to open your heart to him, to open your mind to him, to communicate with him. Extraordinary. I have confidence to enter the presence of the living God. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for me on the cross, what did he do? He died for me. His blood covers all my sin, and he has made me holy. So now I can come into the presence of a holy God. Wow, have you ever thought about how profound that reality is? We should be amazed at that grace. He goes on to say, we have confidence in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. Now, this sounds like a really good thing. Okay, God, I want to win the lottery today. I do. I would be very generous. I don't understand why I haven't won the lottery, except I have never bought a ticket. But we often, in our prayers, we're praying for what we want God to do for us, and we treat him like he's a vending machine. Instead of putting a dollar into the, oh, it's more than that now, uh, 20 bucks into the vending machine to get a, a little package of uh, peanuts, we try to come up with some kind, we see prayers magic, and we try to 
conjole God to do what we want him to do. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before he was arrested, just before he would be abused and and nailed to the cross, Luke says that he was sweating blood. And doctors tell us that under incredible duress, that can happen. Jesus was under incredible duress. He knew that the horror of the cross wasn't just the abuse, but it was receiving your sin and my sin unto himself. And as he kneeled before God, he asked God to take this cup from him. But then he said this, Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That's where the battle for the cross was won. Friends, so often when I pray, it's just to bring a laundry list to the Lord, and there's nothing wrong with that. But more and more, I want to pray according to the will of God. Jesus said this, when he taught the Lord's Prayer. He said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do we truly want the will of God or are we wanting our own will to be accomplished? He goes on and he um, talks about that when we pray according to what God longs for and what God wants, and I have found that the longer I live in Christ, the longer I learn, I've lived in his word and I've, and I've grown in my faith and I still have a long ways to go, I find that more and more I want the things that God wants. I hunger for the things that God hungers for. That's what I want. Now, there are days I'm not living that way and praying that way. But I love this. One of the ways that I've learned to pray, and if you've ever seen me do an infant baptism here, you know that I do this with every child. My prayer for them comes right out of the Bible. This, friends, is the word of God. This is the will of God. And I know that when I pray the Bible, when I pray Scripture, I know I'm praying His will. I know He hears me, and I know that He responds. Then He goes on, and He says this, and this is kind of challenging. He says, I'm not saying that you should pray about that. Oh, I'm going to do it from here. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray, and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. It's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and what does that mean? Simply this. It's the rejection of Jesus Christ. That is the only sin that leads to death the rejection of Jesus Christ. Not a one-time rejection, but a rejection of Jesus throughout our lifetime. 
It may be at one time we, we received Christ and then we pushed him away and we're like the prodigal son who's coming home again. You can always go home again. This is the person who has rejected Jesus. I believe John is talking about the false teachers in the church. They are not people, he is saying, who believe in, in the gospel. They are teaching things contrary to the gospel. And he says, but he says there's a sin that does not lead to death. What is that? It's all the other. And here's what he's saying to us. If you see a brother or sister who is caught in a sin, you and I are to pray for them, that God will restore them, that God will set them free, that God will, that they will turn their face to the Lord again. There isn't a person in here this morning, I'm sure, who cannot think of someone, and maybe it's you this morning, for whom John is speaking. I can think of people that I need to be praying for and have prayed for this week who are those who are living in wrongdoing. And I'm praying that God will show them the emptiness of their life apart from obedience. I had a, um, well, let's go to the next point and I'll share it there. We don't need to, li uh, need to live as slaves to ongoing sin. Now, when you heard me read this, you might have gone, whoa, what does that mean? Well, here's what it says. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. Well, we've all failed at that already today, right? We've all failed at that. He's not talking here about, here's what he's talking about. This is the same word that we talked about a number of weeks ago. It's the word lawlessness. Lawlessness. What is lawlessness? Lawlessness is someone who does not care about the commands of God. It's someone who ignores the commands of God. It's someone whose life is bearing no fruit in light of what the scriptures, the way the scriptures have called us to live. That's what he's referring to. Here's what he's saying. We know that anyone born of God does not continue in lawlessness. We do not continue to ignore the scriptures, to ignore the commands of God, to ignore how God has called us to live. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I have commanded. Our obedience is an expression of our love for God, our gratitude to God, our trust and faith in God. How do I know that I have faith? Because I long to live a life that more and more reflects the holiness of God, the goodness of God so that I can com communicate to him, Lord, I love you. You are precious to me. Your word is precious to me. He says, Any we know anyone born of God who does not continue to sin, the one who is born of God, the one who is born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. As we seek to live a life that bears the fruit of the goodness of God, what happens is God provides this incredible protection from the evil one, not from sickness, not from heartache, not from pain, but from the attacks of Satan himself. At the very end of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says this. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us 
from the evil one. Your Bible probably says evil. The original Greek language is the evil one. We are in a war. I want to share with you um, a friend of mine who I just love dearly, and he's not in this church. He's from uh, another church, I served, my last church I served. He reached out to me this week, and he said, Pastor, he said, Pastor, I've got a, a list of things in my life that I'm recognizing God wants to deal with and God wants to change. There are a number of issues in my life, and he listed five things. Now, there are things that I call in the church acceptable sins. Those are those things you say, oh, yeah, everybody's like that. Everybody deals with that. A lot of you would read his list and would say, ah, oh, those aren't big deals. But he knows that God is calling him to go deeper with him. He knows, for example, that food has become an idol in his life. That he loves food sometimes more than he loves God. He's more passionate about a burrito than he is about prayer at times. And he says, pray for me as I deal with these issues in my life. Man, did that bless me. It challenged me. And I began to think about areas of my life where God wants to speak to me. I'm going to ask you this morning, are you caught up in an area of lawlessness? You know the truth, but you don't want to do it. You know what God wants you to do, but you're ignoring him because it's not part of your plan. It's not what you want. We know that anyone born of God does not continue in lawlessness. We seek to honor God, not to get God to love us. He already does. Not that I will receive salvation. I've already received salvation. But as an expression of love for God. Here's the fourth thing that I want you to see. And that is that we belong to God. I have confidence that I belong to God. I have confidence that I am an eternal child of the living God. I've shared with you before when my daughter was, uh, one of my daughters was in, I think it was in first grade, and she was in Sunday school, and she raised her hand and she said, my daddy is not my father. Scandal. And then she said, God is my father. And I was so blessed by what she said. I don't want to ever forget that reality. See, my identity is this. We know that we are children of God. That is my identity. I'm a child of the living God of the universe. And I, my first priority is his kingdom. What does he go on to say? The whole world that we live in is under the control of the evil one. Under the control of Satan. I want to say something that, um, that is a great concern to me that I see happening in the Christian, American Christian church today. Our first priority is not the kingdom of this world. Our first priority is the kingdom of God. 
when Jesus gave us our marching orders, he did not say, build kingdoms in this world. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and reminding them of everything that I have said to you, that I have taught you. Those, that is our mission. Those are our marching orders. We live in the most contentious political season I have ever seen in my lifetime. And I see the battlegrounds in the churches where people are saying, I'm this, I'm that. And people are more concerned as Christians about elections than we are about what that has happening for the sake of the kingdom of God. I want to say to you, I love America, and I am so grateful that God planted me in this nation. I love this country, and we need to work against injustice when we see it, and we need to engage in the political system in healthy, wise ways. But we are not here to build first and foremost, the kingdom of America. We are here first and foremost to build the kingdom of God. And we cannot forget this. Now, we engage our nation. We love our nation. We serve our nation. Absolutely. We love and we, and we seek to make this nation better. But it is idolatry to love America more than we love the kingdom of God. And I know some of you, this is going to make you very frustrated with me. And I'm okay with that. And if you can show me biblically where I'm wrong, I will change. But I am a child of the king of the universe. That is my identity. We cannot allow politics to divide us as the people of God. We cannot allow differences in politics, differences in how we see the world politically to divide us as a people. We need to love one another because we are brothers and sisters together in the kingdom of God. Make no mistake. I am a proud American, and I, pro I fly the American flag on holidays. I love my country. I pray for my country. But what matters to me most is the kingdom of God. Here's the last thing that I want you to see, and that is this, that we know and we can know God by knowing the Son. This is such an extraordinary extraordinary thing. Listen to this. What a great way to end this letter. We know also that the Son of God has come. Now, in the Greek language, has come means came and is still coming. Okay? It doesn't mean he came once, but through the Holy Spirit, he has made his life in our lives. He lives in me through the Holy Spirit. He lives in you by faith in Jesus through the Holy Spirit. So, we know that the Son of God has come and still comes and has given us understanding 
Of what? This is incredible. How, what understanding has he given us? It says, so that we may know him who is true. So that we may know God. And to know God doesn't mean to know just about God, but to know his love by encountering his love. To know his joy by encountering his joy. To know his peace by encountering his peace. I know the comfort of God in my life. It's amazing. Listen, he says, and we who are in him, in Jesus, who is true by being, oh, I'm sorry, in him, speaking of God, the Father, who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. That's how he ends this letter. Let me close with this picture. Uh, I really enjoy those little, um, oh my, I, I forgot what they are. I really enjoy them. Hummingbirds, I really do. And my mom, when I was growing up, always had, a hum, or often had a hummingbird feeder in the yard. And she had nectar in there, you know, you put the dye in there, red, so it attracts them. And I was always mesmerized by these little creatures. Now, I want to say this before I describe it. I want to be a hummingbird. Well, okay, let me rephrase that. I want to live like a hummingbird. Now, what does that mean? Did you know, I mean, they're so fantastic. They come and they stick their beak, they have really long beaks, into the nectar, and they're sucking up the nectar. Their wings are flapping. You ready for this? 50 times per second. that amaze you? Oh, I guess you already knew this. I thought, I thought it was going to be, whoa! 50 times per second, that little, that little bird is flapping those wings. Thank you. I was going to keep going until somebody did it, and you were going to be really bored. It's just, it's just, but at the same time, it just looks completely at peace. It's not even moving. It's just still. I want to give everything I have for the kingdom of God because eternity is what matters. His kingdom is what matters. I want to give everything I have to that. I want my wings beating 50 beats per second. A friend of mine said it this way. A friend of mine said, I'm going to give it everything I've got because I have all of eternity to rest. But at the same time, while my arms are flapping, I want to be at complete peace because I am confident in these five things we looked at this morning. I love that image. I don't want to be a hummingbird. I want to be like a hummingbird. Okay, is that clear? I don't want anybody thinking, I'm, okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that transforms and challenges. Lord, I know this week has been, this has been such a challenge for me in my own life. So I look at myself and I see areas where I've just really gotten sloppy. And I, and I just haven't been approaching the throne of grace the way that I know you want me to. Lord, I pray for everybody in here that we have received something by your spirit through your word 
that we need to deal with. And Lord, we will deal with it with joy, no matter how hard it is, because we know that that just helps us to grow and to become more. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.